Sun is down, freezing cold. That's how we already know when it's here. My dog will probably do it for Louis Bell. That's just all he know, he don't know nothing else. I tried to show him. Yeah. I tried to show him. Yeah. 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 Gone on you with the pick and roll. Younger Flame, he in sickle mode. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Internal Budget. Brandon Mackey, staff writer for Silver7Sends.com with you as always. And man, you sickos are having a hell of a time these past few days. Some big wins by the Ottawa Senators coming at the hands of the Montreal Canadiens and the entirety of La Belle Province has been plunged into chaos by this upstart group of Ottawa Senators. And joining me today to talk about that and so much more, he covers the Belleville Senators for Silver7Sends.com. And he is my brother in love of iced coffee. It is Mr. Spencer Blake. How are you, sir? Thank you for being here. I'm doing quite well. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Oh man, I'm living the dream as best as you can and locked down in Ontario with the slowest vaccine rollout since, I don't know, I thought I had something for this, but I guess not. I guess it's just beyond words now. In any case, uh, Spencer, the sickos, man, they've been having a field day. Uh, we just got the news that the Canadians have fired their head coach, Claude Julien, along with associate coach Kirk Muller. Did that catch you by surprise? Because it certainly caught me a little off guard. It did catch me by surprise. It felt like something was probably coming if they you know, lost a couple more games. Uh, I did see somebody, I can't remember who it was, uh, say that they had chatted with, with somebody inside Montreal saying that this decision was coming either way and last night's loss wasn't the, the final nail in the coffin. I find that kind of hard to believe. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm surprised, but also not surprised. It's kind of a, you know, I saw the push notification immediately jumped on Twitter because I thought it would be fun. I was right. It was fun. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, I'm not sure how much that really changes things, but I guess no. we'll see. By all accounts, it sounds like uh, it sounds like the reports from Montreal are saying that Julian had kind of lost the room and that the players weren't totally buying into the direction that the team was going in and everything from the way his lines were deployed to the construction of the roster itself it just, it seemed like they were at the end of their rope. Um, I don't know. You're right. I don't know how much it changes for them. Obviously this isn't a Habs podcast, so we won't spend too much time on it, but I'm curious about the hiring of Dom Ducharme. I think he's a good young coach. Um, I think he's part of that new wave of head coaches. If I recall correctly, he was in the conversation for the Ottawa job after Guy Boucher was fired. So I'm curious to see how they perform from here. But man, it's been a fun week. Uh, Brady Kachuk. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, we try to be as fair in our coverage as possible, but it's fun watching this team hand the Montreal Canadiens two straight losses on home ice. And with the kids playing the way that they have, it's just, it's been a blast to watch. And I think, you know, we don't need to relive everything. We get the overtime win on Monday and the shootout loss or shootout win, sorry, last night, or the overtime win was Sunday. In any case, Brady Kachuk, I think has indisputably been the senator's best player uh, these past few games but who else has stood out to you yeah it's it's been it's been great to see the young players stand out in the past couple of games uh, i think all of the goals scored in the past two games have been by you know 23 and unders I think so. or 22 and under something like that uh, we obviously with brady kachuk leading the way i've been really impressed with josh norris um i know he's you know probably not a real first line center today uh there's still lots that he needs to learn but i think the last couple of games he's really played like it you know you haven't you haven't been watching him thinking you know this is a, a talented young player who is going to grow into this position in the past couple of games you've just seen him be that player um i'd love to see obviously that continue being a a big josh norris fan myself and watching him run away with the the rookie of the year award last year in the ahl but uh really impressed with him also really impressed with eric branstrom uh i think that he's been phenomenal he led all players all senators anyways last night in in you know even strength Corsi so 
you know, when he's on the ice, the puck is moving in the direction of the opposition's net. And I think that's really, really important, obviously. Um, so I think those are probably my two standouts outside of obviously Brady Kachuk, you know, I think taking on the new JG Pajot uh, form of being an absolute stud when he plays against Montreal. And so much better too. Like, you know, no disrespect yeah. to JG Pajot. No. Oh, absolutely not. No, no disrespect. But, but Kachuk is an unbelievable player. I, list, I was listening to Tony Marinero on TSN 690 <laughs> freaking out about the center, uh, about Montreal passing on Kachuk to pick Yaskari Kakanyemi. And he screamed at the top of his lungs. He said, he's going to haunt the Canadians for the next 10 years. Like just freaking out. So a little bit of schadenfreude on this Wednesday morning. Uh it's been enjoyable. I do want to talk about Josh Norris and we'll get to Brandstrom after, but he's been fantastic. One of the best rookies in the league by every metric he's up there in the scoring race. His advanced stats are among, if not the best out of any rookies in the NHL this year, as a guy who watched him grow into this player last year through his rise in the American hockey league, what about him makes his game? What about his game makes him such a special player? I think he is, uh, m- more talented and has a higher, s- a-, a better skill set than people believe him to. You know, when I was watching him at the beginning of the year last year in Belleville, he looked really good, but he kind of you know needed to to take some time to get used to it. But once once he was up to speed with the AHL game, um, it was like he was unstoppable. Uh, you know, he makes those little passes uh, into tight spaces. He also goes into those tougher areas. Uh, more more than I think a lot of skilled players of his size would do. He's not a huge guy. He's not small, but he's not you know a booming you know six four top line center kind of player. He's he's that smaller skilled center, um, and you know his ability to to come out of those corners in the AHL last year with the puck uh, against you know twenty six year old AHL veterans uh, was really impressive to see. And then his shot is, it's nothing fancy. You know, it's not, it's not a, you know, Austin Matthews type release where he, you know, seemingly just gets the puck on and off his stick and a flash of an eye. But when he gets the shot off, especially on the power play, that, that one time spot, the, the Ovechkin spot, uh, it's a lot more powerful than you expect from a player of his size. Too, right? like- oh, that was awesome. His, his shootout move and Stutzler's shootout move made me so happy. I was alone in my living room dancing around just like <laughs> these are the kids that have the skill that we've been waiting for. It is so nice to see that high-end skill for a change. I mean, <laughs> it really is. I mean, even when the Senators were at their peak three years ago and you're talking about Mark Stone and you're talking about Eric Carlson, I, I don't think they were as skilled at the top end of their forward position. I mean, Cal Turris was a really good player. I think Norris is probably at least more talented than him. I think Stutzla, you can probably say the same. I, I, you know, I don't recall who was playing on the top left wing on that Senators team, but it wasn't a Brady Kachuk, you know? No. Um, so I, I just think it's so refreshing to see this type of talent throughout the lineup. And a guy like Norris, where do you think his ceiling is? Because I think you made a good point about his size. He's draws comparisons to Logan Couture, but he's not quite the same frame. I don't think, uh, is he projecting to be more of a one B or do you think he's a guy that can drive a line at the top of a contending team's lineup? I think, I think if we're talking ceiling, there's a possibility he could be that, that top line line driver. But I think if we're talking about a realistic expectation, I would say the the one B scenario is more likely, uh, which obviously is not uh, you know a slight at Josh Norris. I think he's a fantastic hockey player, um, but if we're talking about you know a top line center on a contending team, he's not Connor McDavid. He's not Austin Matthews. He's not Nathan McKinnon, Sidney Crosby. You know he's not that level of you know a one C, and I don't think he ever will be. Um, so I think if they really, really want to contend, they do need to find a center better than Josh Norris. Um, and by contend, I mean, really contend, not be a playoff team, but, you know, have a shot at a cup. Um, they would need to find a center that's, that's better than Josh Norris. That could be Tim Stutzla, depending on whether he transitions over to the center's spot or not. But, um, I love Josh Norris. I think he's great. I don't think he is the top end elite first line center that a, a Stanley cup champion would need. Yeah. And if you're the senators, I think a, uh, 
a center core of Tim Stutzla, Josh Norris, Colin White, and then who knows, maybe Shane Pinto, Ridley Gregg. Uh, I think that is more than palatable for a young team that is kind of starting to find their way a little bit. Getting back to Eric Branstrom, I thought he had a great game last night. Uh, I, I thought it was one of the best that I've seen him play at the pro level. Had the first NHL goal, which was a long time coming for him. He got walked on Tyler Toffoli's goal. Uh, the way I assess that was it's a young player. Like, this is going to happen. You know, this is development. Guys learn through mistakes. Today, he's reassigned to the taxi squad. Uh, I'm sure you have some thoughts about that. So I will let you run with it, my friend. Oh, I have thoughts about that, Brandon. Um, it's confusing. It's not confusing, but it's confusing. Uh, you know, it's he got walked, as he said. Uh, that goal primarily on him because once he once to fully got past him it was not an easy shot you know you can't you can't say Murray should have had that one it was a nice a nice shot to fully pick the right spot can't really blame Matt Murray for it so you know that's his fault the problem I have with it is that you know uh anytime Mike Riley or you know Eric Branson Thomas Shabbat gets walked they're fine. It's happened right? a lot. And it's happened a lot. Uh, even Shabbat's been walked more than I would want he this last, season. He's had a couple spots. He last night, sorry not to interrupt you. I said this in the recap that I wrote. That was probably the worst game I've ever seen Thomas Shabbat play. He was horrible last night. Yeah. And I don't and I don't know if he's injured or if he's, you know, if he's if it's just rust from missing a few games, but he was he was god awful. Sorry, I, please continue. I didn't mean to. No, that's I'm I'm with you there, and then it also didn't help that a couple of his mistakes were like big, glaring, glaring obvious yeah. things, right? So uh, I'm I'm with you on that, and I get the idea that you want to have you know uh, teach your your young players to you know be responsible and you know actions have consequences, but my my issue is just mostly that. Uh, actions only have consequences for for the young players and they don't have consequences for the veterans more often than not um and for me it also speaks a little bit to uh dj smith's unwillingness it would appear anyways we don't know that Branstrom's not going to get called back up on thursday i don't know you know the taxi squad is an interesting wrinkle in in assessing you know deployment decisions and that kind of stuff but at the moment it would appear that dj smith doesn't want to have both willanen and Branstrom in the lineup at the same time Right. Uh, yeah. Because I'm not sure that it's happened. And if it has happened, maybe it was one game or two. Yeah. I but for the most has. part, partly from injuries, but also partly from decisions like this, you know, they haven't played at the same time. Um, I kind of get, you know, you got Shabbat. Mike Riley has played better of late. So, um, you know, you have four good left handed defensemen. So someone's got to sit out. I would much prefer, however, giving Eric Branstrom that spot on the right side yeah. rather than, than putting a worse overall defensive core on the ice because you don't want to pick between your four left shot defensemen. It reeks of a financial move to me, sending him down. I mean, if you send him to the taxi squad, you pay the American league salary. It's what they've been doing with Artem and Isimov, right? Like just to save those months, save that money on those off days. Um, I mean, do I like it? No. Uh, does it draw concerns about the Ottawa ownership situation? Yeah. What doesn't? Uh, but again, we are in a situation in the NHL right now where every team is pinching pennies just out of necessity. I think there is something to be said about vets earning a longer leash. Like, I understand that, you know, you're not going to bench Thomas Shabbat for making a mistake. Right. I, I do agree though, that kids need to be allowed to make mistakes. And I think it was interesting because we didn't see Branstrom for much of the third period. And then we saw him in overtime. <laughs> Whether that was because Ottawa, DJ Smith didn't want to deploy much of Erica Branson uh, in overtime, I don't know. But you're right. There has been, it seems like, a lack of willingness to trust these young defenders at times. And, I mean, a guy like Artem Zub has arguably been Ottawa's best defender the past two weeks or so. Give me your thoughts on his game because I know everyone has them. And uh, I I'm really curious to get your assessment on him, even as a guy who didn't get to play in the American Hockey League and has just made the transition from the KHL to the NHL. Yeah, I, I like his game. I, th I think he's solid. I am not sure long-term, and obviously small sample size, but I'm not sure long-term that he's anything more than maybe a, a good third-pairing guy on the right side. You know, I think he moves the puck a lot better than any 
of the right-handed defensemen, Zaitsev included, although Zaitsev has been much better this year than previous years. Yes. But I think from a puck moving perspective, you know, his skill set on, you know, transitioning the puck, breaking the puck out is something that Ottawa hasn't really had on the right side out of Eric, outside of Eric Carlson in a long time. Right. Especially on this team. Now, most of their puck movement comes from the left because they've kind of either purposefully or accidentally walked into a, a scenario where their most skilled defenders are all left-handed mm-hmm. uh, and their bruisers are all right-handed. Uh, so it's, it's nice that that Ottawa has a player in Zub who can be that transition player on the other side of the rink. Uh, I think it helps a little bit in uh, other teams defending against it. You know, if they, if they know the puck's always going to get transitioned from the left side, then they can probably plan for that a little bit. Whereas if they don't know, you know, each shift who, who the puck mover is on the blue line, ideally you want them both to be, but um, I, I write, I like that about Zub's addition to the lineup last night. He didn't play a ton. Yeah, that's what uh, which I, I was. Too. I was a bit surprised by, um, but they won. So DJ Smith, you know, he probably don't doesn't won't think too much hard too hard about that. But uh, overall, I really like his game. I'm I'm not convinced he's much more than the third pairing guy. But you need those players. So um, if if they can have a you know Bernard Docker come into the lineup in the next year or two and play ahead of him on the, either the second or the first pairing. Uh, and then having Zub out there for third pairing minutes, I think that's a really good spot to be in. Yeah, good timing on the Bernard Docker mention because that's another thing I wanted to ask you. <laughs> with with the way that the Senators' prospects are developing uh, at the University of North Dakota right now, you could make a serious case that Jake Sanderson and Jacob Bernard Docker and even Shane Pinto are going to be in the Ottawa lineup next season, whether it's for a few games or whether it's long-term. Those guys are playing some amazing hockey and I really think they are going to push for the main roster spot. So in your mind, which of those guys do you think we'll see in Ottawa next season? And which do you think that are maybe going to get an extended look in Belleville? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I love talking about the North Dakota fighting Sens. Um, that's a good question. I think the, the interesting thing is I, I looked it up the other day because I was curious. The Frozen Four, should it happen, which I presume it will happen in a bubble scenario uh, this year, is in, I think, the first weekend of April. And there's about eight or 10 NHL games following the two-week isolation that would be required should any of those UND players sign their contract. Like where you're coming from. <laughs> I have a lot of time on my hands to think these days uh, <laughs> and to look up schedules and do math. So I think we're going to see at least two thirds of those players, maybe all three of them play for the Ottawa senators in at least a game this season. That's what I think is going to happen. Especially if you're talking a situation after the trade deadline where Mike Riley might not be here. Erica Branson might not be here. Derek Stepan might not be here, but he also might have suffered a long-term injury based on what we saw in the last Montreal Yikes. game. So, so yeah. either so either way, you're right. There's probably going to be some roster spots opening up for sure. There's going to be roster spots, and as I attempt to be an optimistic Sense fan, I'm not convinced the final ten games of the season are going to matter too much. No, um, unless what we saw in the past five or six games is how they'll play for the rest of the season, in which case maybe it will. But I am a little skeptical that, that is actually the case long term. So, yes, I think there will be both opportunity and reason to have them in the lineup. I think you're going to see two, if not three. And the if not three is Jake Sanderson, only because I'm not sure they're going to want to rush it with him. I think he could probably play based on how he played in the World Juniors and how he's played so far this season for UND. Uh, I think he could probably play and probably play quite well. But if I'm Pierre Dorian and I'm looking at, you know, what's the rush in bringing Jake Sanderson in next season if you have Shabbat, Willanen, Brandstrom, and maybe a, you know, off-season acquisition down the left side already when you could just wait a year, let him, you know, destroy the NCAA next season and then have him come up after that and then have a better idea of what you've got, specifically in Branstrom and Willanen, uh, just to see, you know, are they long-term pieces with the organization? I think Branstrom is and should be. Yeah. Uh, I am a big Willanen fan, but 
I don't think he's enough of a game changer to lock him into a spot ahead of, you know, a prospect like Jake Sanderson. So that would be the only reason why I could see Dorian waiting. That being said, there's also no harm in, you know, a player like Sanderson coming in next season and playing in Belleville. Yeah. Right. I, so I, I think if anyone, it's probably going to be Bernard Docker getting that NHL look just because he's older. Agreed. He's he's had the more seasoning. He's a veteran guy. And when I spoke to him not long ago, he's got his sights fully locked on making the Senators out of camp next season. So to me, that is the guy who I would I would put my money on. It's interesting what you say about Wolanin. I think and I'm a big Wolanin fan, too. Is DJ Smith a big fan of Christian Wolanin? <sighs> We've seen evidence that maybe to the contrary, I don't want to speculate because, you know, we don't, we're not flies on the wall of that locker room and, and what goes on and, you know, their opinions on players, but is Christian Malin maybe an expansion draft guy maybe. this summer? Yeah. Might be. Like, like that, that's how I'm feeling about it. And I think with Brandstrom and Sanderson coming in, I'm like, maybe that's okay. You know, like you never want to lose a player for free, but I'll put it this way. I would rather lose Willannon than Brandstrom or Sanderson. And I think you probably, oh, yeah. I think you probably feel the same way with no disrespect to Christian Willannon. Cause he's a phenomenal player, but yeah, I, I just think it's, we're getting into a situation where there's that log jam on the left side. Now. Um, not so much on the right side. You have Zaitsev, you have Zub and that's about it. Which is another reason why Bernard Docker is probably the top candidate of right. those three to yeah. get playing time. Cause there's, there's just more of an opportunity there, even down the middle for Shane Pinto. Yeah. You know, yeah. Will he be a better centerman than than Colin White, than Josh Norris? Don't know yet. Mm-hmm. But those spots in the top nine are currently occupied, whereas and will be likely occupied for the rest of the season. Whereas the right side of the blue line, maybe not. As we shift the conversation kind of towards Belleville, I do mm-hmm. want to get your thoughts on another center that you didn't just mention, and I am talking, of course, about. Ridley Gregg. No, I'm talking about Logan Brown. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'm ready to talk about Ridley Gregg. Too. Oh, he's great. Yeah, we, we definitely will. Uh, as far as Brown goes, though, I mean, this is something I kind of touched on last week. Uh, you now have a guy who is hurting him. And this is what I said when Ottawa sent him down in the first place. I'm like, you know, fine. It's not the worst thing to get him some games in Belleville. But then if he gets hurt again, what do you do with this player? And Everyone was like, well, he's not, not going to get hurt. And if he gets hurt, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, well, no, it does matter because you want to see what this kid has at the NHL level. And you can't do that if he's in the tub, you know? Uh, and then from there, it's like, if you want to trade him, he's not playing games. So what's his value? Especially if this is a lingering injury or it's going to be something long-term. So it feels like the clock is running out on Logan Brown. If it hasn't already, um, Troy Mann called his first two games in Belleville this season very disappointing. Uh, I mean, I, I don't even know what to say at this point because this is a player who has <laughs> all the talent in the world. Uh, he's a player who everyone is rooting for, but just it, it almost feels like we're trying to s- slam a square block into a round hole at this point. Um, yeah. So, so what's your assessment of the Logan Brown situation? Is it time for the Senators to cut bait with this player? I, I don't want them to. Right. Um, I still think that he's a really talented player. Uh, I still think that he can be a top nine center in the NHL, um, which is a far cry from how I felt when they drafted him when I was like, Ooh, first line center. Awesome. But um, his, his inability to crack the lineup is concerning. His health is obviously concerning. Uh, He also frankly played really poorly in the first two Belleville games he, you know, he wasn't the best center on the on the ice for Belleville in those two games. And he when he when he's supposed to be the best center on the ice between probably both teams, Laval and or and Belleville, yeah. And and he just wasn't. Uh, and a lot of that I think had to do with you know how much he appeared to try. You know, I'm not I'm not a big fan of the Logan Brown doesn't try Logan Brown's too slow. Logan Brown doesn't move his feet narrative mostly because he's a big guy and doesn't need to move his feet as his strides long. Yeah. So he doesn't need to make it look like, you know, speedy Gonzalez out there. 
Sorry for the '90s cartoon <laughs> reference. Um, I understood it. it's all good. Or, or the Roadrunner, uh, because his stride is longer. So often it appears that he's not trying when really he doesn't. Something he doesn't need to try, but his stride is just longer, and so he doesn't need to look like it's his feet are moving. Um, that being said, he did not look like he was trying in the majority of those two games, uh, and this is coming from someone who doesn't like that narrative. Yeah. So uh, it's it's hard to to say anything other than maybe he's just finally not given up on the NHL, but like given up on the senators. Yeah. Right. And, and that, that seems harsh. I'd like to retract that statement quickly. <laughs> um, but, you know, maybe he sees, you know, the, the log jam in front of him and, you know, he's like, I've tried for four years or f- how many training camps have you been to four or five. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I still can't crack it. Um, and so maybe, you know, the combination of Smith and Dorian don't think that he's, uh, an NHL player or good enough to be like, if you're not good enough to beat out Artem Anisimov for the opening lineup, then how good are you? Yeah. So um, I struggle with that because I don't want them to cut bait, but I think that they probably should if they're not going to give him the shot. Yeah. It, because you know, his, his trade value is dropping by the day basically. Yeah. And you were, I, I don't think you're being overly harsh. I, I, I think that we're at a point now where this is a valid question to ask. This is not a player who was drafted last year. What was it? 2016. He was picked in the first round. Something like, like that. Yeah. We're talking four seasons now. And it's just, it's almost like he's pushing up against this ceiling. You have a player like Drake Batherson who listen when the senators, when he made the senators out of camp last year, he was not ready. I mean, I know people were pissed off when he got sent back down to Belleville, but the fact of the matter was he was playing timid. He didn't look confident and he just, he was not ready. They sent him back down. He tore it up at the AHL level, took it as a challenge, came back up in January, completely different player. Now, a year later, completely different player, like bona fide top six forward. Yeah. That is what the Senators were hoping to see out of Logan Brown. And they just haven't. And I hate, I'm like you, I don't ever want to question a player's effort because that to me is questioning their integrity. And I would hate to do that because I don't know the person. Um, You know, so to just blindly speculate that, it's not fair, but by the same token, you got to wonder what's holding this kid back at this point. And can you make an argument that the Senator should have given him a shot to start the year? Yeah. But if, again, it's like you said, if you're not outperforming Artem Anisimov and Derek Stepan, then, you know, like yeah. it's hard to feel a lot of sympathy for you as a guy who was, a, who was a first round draft pick. You know, I, I didn't get to watch those first two Belleville games that he played before he ended up getting hurt. But I think now with the fact that he hasn't been called up, it just I don't have a good feeling about the situation, whether it's going to be a longer term injury or the senators are upset with him. I, I, I don't know. So when you say he wasn't trying or it looked like he wasn't trying can you go a little bit deeper into that? Like, I know his skating has always looked kind of, you know, funky. Yeah. Kind of sleepy. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. it's just, he's not a beautiful skater, but what about his game specifically did disappointed you? Was it a case where this kid was just invisible or was it, you were noticing him, but in the wrong ways? Um, more, more invisible. So it wasn't it wasn't that he was making a ton of mistakes or you know turning the puck over a bunch. It, it was just that really when he had the puck, you knew he was there. You knew he was trying to make a play. You could see his you know silky uh, silky smooth mitts. You know you could see him being able to find that that lane and make that pass to uh, Schlappick or whoever whoever he was playing wing with or who, who was playing the wing for him. Sokolov was the other one in that opening game. Um, it was when he didn't have the puck, I didn't notice him. Like that was that was the big thing. You know, you always hear coaches talk about, you know, play away from the puck. You know, for for Logan Brown, I would have wanted to see, and, and it's hard it's hard for a six foot six center to be invisible uh, because he's huge and you notice him. But, you know, I wanted to see him winning puck battles in the corner. I wanted to see him retrieving. I wanted to see him battling. I wanted to see him have that drive to get the puck back so he could do what he does best. And I just didn't see that in the first two games. And I don't yeah. know. So he got hurt, but when did he get hurt? Mm-hmm. Did he, did he play those two games in Belleville hurt? I don't know. 
right? That, that's another thing, you know, when we, when you and I both agree, you know, we don't want to question someone's effort or their integrity or how much they care, how much they try. That's great. I'm point, totally on board yeah. with that, but I don't know how healthy he was to begin, which is a whole other red flag in and of yeah. itself. But, you know, there was just, you know, the, once the puck was on his stick, he was Logan Brown. Mm-hmm. When the puck wasn't on his stick, he was nowhere to be found. That's kind yeah. of where he was in those first, most of the first two games. Yeah. I'm sure it wasn't every shift, but and most of the games, that's what it was. And that was the knock on him coming out of camp as to why he didn't make the team, right? It was, you know, I've, if I recall correctly, the quote from Dorian was, if the entire game was a power play, Logan Brown would have made our roster. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, so nobody's yeah. so nobody's questioning the talent that this kid has. He can move the puck. He's has amazing vision in the offensive zone. He's got a wicked shot. But he just – this is a kid that you're expecting to be a game-breaker at the AHL level. And he just hasn't been able to do that. Even last year when he got sent back down again, I know that's another instance where he was injured, but it's like, it's frustrating. It really is. Um, I I don't know how much further these two have to go together. I really don't. I I don't, I don't think it's productive to keep him down there in Belleville um, just because I don't know how much more he has left to prove there. At some point, the kid's got to make the leap. And if he does, great. If he doesn't, then you have to move on. So I'm hoping he can figure it out. But the way things have gone lately, it's just it's hard to be optimistic. And Belleville as a whole got off to a kind of rocky start to this season. Um, One and three through the first four games against Laval. For those of us who didn't get to watch the games in their entirety, what happened that you saw? Uh, Is this just a, a rusty team on a rough start? Or are there legitimate causes for concern with this roster? I mean, probably both, but Laval is also a rusty team coming off of 300 days of no hockey, right? So that that uh, that excuse doesn't hold a, a ton of water. But the the fact of the matter is, Belleville graduated a good number of exceptional AHL players, right? You know, their top six last year for most of the season, you know injuries and call-ups and whatever's aside their top six of last year included josh norris drake bratherson rudolph balsers and logan brown all of whom were above a point per game now it includes just logan brown who got hurt two games into the season so you've lost your two best winners in balsers and bratherson you've lost your first line center in josh norris who won rookie of the year uh all you have left is Logan Brown and Alex Formanton and Vitaly Abramov. But after that, it's all either players probably playing above their spot in the lineup or brand new to professional hockey players. Right. And so, you know, Logan Shaw came in. I've loved Logan Shaw's game. First four games, I thought he was arguably one of Belleville's best players. Not arguably, he was one of Belleville's best players, uh, which I like to see. But when you've got, you know, Ridley Gregg as your best center as an 18 year old speaks volumes to Ridley Gregg, but it also speaks volumes to the lack of skill at that position. Yeah. Right. You lost Josh Norris and now you've lost Logan Brown for, I'm not sure how long and they're going to lose Ridley Gregg at that point, their top line center probably becomes JC Baudin. Yeah. Who is good. He's a very, you know, defensively responsible center wins tons of draws rarely out of position, but he's not going to score 30 goals like Josh Norris did. Right. So um, they're missing a lot and they've lost Eric Brandstrom. They had Willane in for a bit last year. Um, and their blue line was not good at the best of times last year. Yes. The blue line was, yeah, they they were kind of carried by goaltending and offense last year. Right. So, you know, you do have Lassie Thompson who has played really well for four games. Uh, Sokolov looked better each game. First game, he wasn't great, I don't think. But the fourth game, I thought he, he was you know making things happen, getting some shots on net, uh, got his first professional point. Uh, Kasselik, I think he'll probably grow into a, a bigger role on the team. But again, I, yeah, he's not a top six style center, right? So they're, they're really missing a ton of skill. So I don't think it's a case of rust. I think it's a case of this is not the same team that it was last year. Yeah. 
who's been leading the charge? You mentioned Logan Shaw. Uh, people might pull up stat the stats and be a little surprised. Like you look at Alex Formanton, just one goal through the first four games of the season. That wasn't something you saw happen a lot with that player last year. So who, who in your mind has stood out uh, as the best players among the Belleville Sens roster, whether it's statistically or just their game in general? Yeah, up front. I mean, Alex Formanton, he has one goal, but he also had like four breakaways that he didn't score on. So maybe he's gone to the, the Connor Brown school of breakaways, but um, he, he was still Alex Formanton. Uh, you know, his, his, obviously you want to see him produce, but his play on the penalty kill was awesome. You know, his ability to close the gap, you know, jump on pucks, uh, pressure players, make them cough it up is really great at the AHL level. And I think it's going to be just as great at the NHL level. Um, he was really good. Logan Shaw was really good. That whole top line, uh, Logan Shaw, Alex Hormonton, Ridley Gregg. That was your, you know, that was the bread and butter. Every time they were on the ice, the puck was pretty much always in Laval's end or almost always in Laval's end. Uh, and, you know, they, they created chances. Logan Shaw scored, Alex Hormonton scored. Greg got his first uh, AHL point as well. Um, Abramov also looked good. But then after that, I mean, it was kind of a bit of a drop off. Um, on the back end, I genuinely think Belleville's best defender was Lassie Thompson, uh, which speaks both to Lassie Thompson's play and also to the play of the rest of the blue line. Uh, but I thought that he was, I thought he was great. You know, he played uh, a ton of minutes with, um, Aspero and a little bit with Alsing as well and played on the power play and made things happen. So I, you know, and then in Gustafson's one start, he was the other play driver. He was a brick wall. Yeah. Who has been the biggest surprise to you so far? Like we expect guys like Formington to make an impact. We probably expect Lassie Thompson to come in and and do well, just based on his skill level. Uh, You know, I always thought through his struggles in Europe this year that he just needed to get to North America and maybe would find a little bit of success, but I, but I digress. So who has stood out to you as the guy who's made you go like, Whoa, like where did this guy come from? Well, I mean, Ridley Gregg, he he's 18 and a half. He shouldn't be playing in the AHL and he was definitely Belleville's best center. And in some cases, I think the best center from both teams uh, for stretches of the four game series with Laval. Uh, He definitely stood out to me as, as a big pleasant surprise. Um, But I would also put Thompson in as a surprise only because of how poorly things have gone in Finland. I'm with you. I think that his game is better suited for North America for the smaller ice, uh, which is interesting. Uh, to think about, you know, a player being better with less space yeah. and better with less time and better with a more physical game. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look back at his draft year, you know, he he was a really solid all-around defenseman in the WHL. Yep. Um, not just production, but, you know, his, his defensive stats, everything, everything that's recorded for WHL stats all looked really good. And so you can see why Ottawa picked him where they picked him. But then he went to Finland and all hell broke loose um but he came back and so that was that was a pleasant surprise i thought he was going to be fine and i think that he was good if not great for the first four games yeah it's interesting that you point that out i think that's a guy who is not a brandstrom style skater no um but he you're right he is big uh, he does play a more physical game. I like the way I've seen him play angles in the defensive zone, um, just based on what little I have seen of him. Right, and that shot. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that kid has a rocket of a shot. Um, do you think that's a guy who could be pushing for a spot in Ottawa soon, at least to get his first look in the NHL? I mean, maybe for a for an injury call up or a post trade deadline, you know, audition for you know a series against whoever Vancouver yeah. or Winnipeg or something like that. It's hard to assess after four games, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think that he would be best suited for the entire AHL season this year to stay in Belleville and probably to play in Belleville next year too. Um, maybe not for the whole year or maybe for the whole year. Uh, I think there's a, there's enough that needs to still be worked on for him um, that rushing him to not rushing him, but putting him in Ottawa this year, for anything more than kind of some spot starts and, you know, a little taste of the show uh, probably is, you know, counting your eggs before they hatch, I guess. Yeah. Two prospects who I've been higher on than I think most people have are Mark Kostelik 
and Igor Sokolov. In Kostelik, I see a guy who's big and physical um, and probably has some work to do in terms of skating and what have you, but a dude who has a natural scoring ability, uh, was really good at finding the net, albeit in his overage seasons uh, in the WHL. Um, a guy who could probably contribute something in the way of secondary scoring uh, in the Senators lineup in the bottom six. And Sokolov, I mean, I really like what I've seen from him. He's a monster. I, we've talked about this, but I remember watching him at the World Juniors, not this past year, but the 2019 World Juniors. And he was just a bear out there. Like he was, he looked like twice the size of everybody. He looked like a man among boys. And to do that in that caliber of a tournament is really something impressive. So you mentioned that Sokolov kind of improved as time goes, time has gone on, but what's been your kind of assessment of those two guys so far? I am probably not as high on either of them as you are, but I'm also not in any way low on them. I don't think that they're, you know, there's, there's nothing there. Um, the glaring area for improvement is the same for both of them and it's their speed they looked fine in in their ahl debuts and for the first four games with belleville but they didn't catch me as players who have the you know top end speed or the acceleration to do what they were able to do in junior at the NHL level yet now we've seen many players with that exact criticism hello mark stone uh, of skating and being slow and sluggish and improving that. So that's why I'm not, you know, I'm not writing either of them off, especially not after four AHL games. But I think that your assessment of where they fit in the lineup is definitely true. Uh, you know, bottom six, secondary scoring. I think I would like to see more in the defensive end from Sokolov. It's tough to, for me, anyways, to assess wingers defensive capabilities or wingers play in their own zone because for a lot of it they're covering the point and then trying to get open when there's breakout opportunity and then going back to covering the point um and so i'm not sure how good Sokolov is in his own end yet uh, i would like to see more of that before i say you know he could be a bottom six nhl player but the good thing is that they're both big they play big uh is it castellic i've been pronouncing it wrong the entire time I've been pronouncing it Castellic. Yeah, I think it's I think it's just your emphasis is on a different thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Like uh, Mark uh is uh <laughs> that, that one I'm good with. Mark is a uh strong center. Like he good on the draws, battles. Uh I, I liked his game a lot more. And he was noticeably better earlier in the series against Laval than Sokolov was. I feel like Sokolov was kind of shaking off the rust and the butterflies all at the same time in the first couple of games. But uh, I like what they both can bring, certainly to Belleville. Um, I'm waiting to see whether or not I'm going to pencil them into Ottawa's lineup, though. Yeah. Spencer, this has been great, man. A uh, couple more before I let you go here. Yeah. Of Actually, before I ask you that, give me your thoughts on the goaltending so far. Uh, Joey Decord oh, and boy. Philip Gustafson both got games. I know some of the score lines were ugly from those first four games. Uh, and it is early. There is a lot to come in terms of the schedule and in terms of more favorable favorable matchups, maybe, and guys kind of kicking off the rust. But what's been your thoughts on the Senator Belleville Senators netminders so far? Um, Decord and Mandelizi were both fine in their starts. That's how I would call it. I wouldn't say that either were bad, even though both of them let in five goals in each start that they had. Um, I think that in every game that Belva led in five, at least one, if not two of those goals were not the goaltender's fault. Uh, it was, you know, blown assignments, you know, turnovers, that kind of stuff by, by Belva in their own zone, which goes back to the, you know, lack of, of skill or the drop off of skill from last year's team to this year's team. That being said, you know, to say one or two goals weren't their fault, it still means that they let in three or four goals that were, right? So I think both of them looked like goaltenders who hadn't faced enough shots over the offseason. Um, Decord looked good in some stretches and then shaky in others. Um, I thought Gustafson looked like he came in mid-season form, which he kind of did. Yeah, because he's, in Europe. he spent 19 games, I think 19 games, 20 games uh, in Sweden's tier two league, right? And played really well there. So 
he provided that stability in the third game that I was expecting Decord to provide in the two starts that he had that Decord provided for some of those starts, but not the full 60 minutes. So I think they were fine. Um, I thought coming into the season that it was pretty clear that Decord was the number one and Gustafson was number two. Obviously it's a small sample size, so I'm not ready to fully swing on that opinion, (laughs) but the first four games tells me that Gustafson would like me to be wrong about that. Mm -hmm. It it is telling that, Decord has gotten more of a backup look at the NHL level than Gustafson has, mm-hmm. I think, albeit if not slightly. Um, Mandelise is, um, he's an interesting one. And I think, you know, that's a guy who was supposed to be in the ECHL this year. Uh, I know Spiros Anastos, Spiros Anastos, now former head coach of the Brampton Beasts, because they folded, unfortunately. He's, uh, he was really excited about getting Kevin down in, in Brampton and getting him some serious starter looks, but I know he has a great relationship with Joey Decord and that those are two guys who are both mentally tough. They have all world confidence. They want to be in that every night and they're good at bouncing back from struggles. So if you're, if it's my two cents, I think they're both going to bounce back fairly soon. Gustafson is an interesting one. Um, I think that's a great point about him having played in Europe over the fall and and that probably being a factor as to why Decord and Mandelise were struggling early. Spencer, if you had to pencil in anybody, and it can be one guy, it can be, you know, 13 guys from Belleville's roster that you think are going to be Ottawa Senators next season um, for an extended period, whether it's out of camp, whether it's, you know, halfway through the season, who are you picking? Uh, Alex Formington. Easy one. Easy. <laughs> Call on it now. Uh, if I'm the coach, I would put Abramov on that list. Really? I really like his game. I think that he... The, the problem is he's a small, skilled scoring forward. Yeah. And that doesn't fit into uh, DJ Smith's bottom six, even his third line, even though I'm I'm more of a you know, you want, you want scores on your third line too type of person uh, where I think that DJ Smith is a little closer to that now, but um, you know, when you look at the top nine for winger positions, I don't know that Adam of it would fit, no. but I would like, I would like him to. Uh, but if we're penciling in, I would say that we're going to see Formington for sure. And then after that, I'm not going to pencil anyone else in. No, I think is kind of where we're at. Uh, unless you know, you know, unless Marcus Hoberg gets traded or claimed or claimed or whatever, or yeah, um, and then in that case, you know, we can have a conversation about Decord and Gustafson. But as it stands today, I think Formington's the only player left on Belleville that I feel comfortable saying will be an Ottawa Senator for more of the season than he'll be a Belleville Senator next year. Yeah, he's. I think he's clearly head and shoulders above everybody else that they yeah. have down there as well. As far as Abramov goes, I mean, that's a guy now who you're thinking, you're, I think you're right. I don't think he fits a bottom six role. Uh, he just doesn't. I mean, Ottawa's third line right now is technically Tim Stutzla, Derek Stepan, and Drake Batherson. But let's be honest, that's a second line. That's not a third checking line. The Nick Paul, Colin White, Evgeny Dadanov line is probably more of your standard NHL third line. So if Abramov, a guy who plays the right wing mm-hmm. um, for the most part, if he's got to beat out Drake Batherson and Evgeny Dadanov for a top six role, don't love his chances. I mean, I'm just, you know, just honest speaking, honestly, if it now, if Schutzla moves to center next year and maybe that spot opens up in the top six, Nick Paul's probably still playing a bottom six role. Maybe Abramov earns that second line left wing spot. Do you, I know, I know you didn't pencil him in, but is there a chance? And I mean, if there think, is, show me a pathway because I'm, I'm struggling to see one right now other than Stutzler moving to center and Ottawa not improving tangibly at the left wing spot. Because you have Formington coming up too, right? Yeah, the the pathway that you didn't mention is one that sees Connor Brown not being a top six winner, which I think is a more realistic pathway than uh, seeing Abramov, you know. It's more realistic than... Batherson or Dadnov. Right? Aren't those guys I, top six wingers though? Batherson and Dadnov? Well, yes, but 
to your point, they just uh, Dadnov is playing with White and Paul, which is gotcha. more of like a third line spot. Gotcha. I see right. So yeah. if if you think about it that way, if you think about Dadnov as your third line right winger, which he probably shouldn't be, but um, I like that line. I'm never going to break them up until they prove me wrong because they've been probably the best line consistently. Anyway, yeah, most consistent for for, sure. for Ottawa. Um, you know, having an Abramov with Kachuk and Norris, for example could be intriguing because Abramov is very quick uh, and has puck skills that I think would lend well to Norris and Kachuk's skill set. Um, so I, that's the only thing I can see is, is a world where Connor Brown isn't, t- isn't playing with any of Norris uh, white and whoever the other center would be that isn't step on next year. Yeah, maybe Stutzel is a complimentary center for him, right? You maybe. get two skilled guys on the same line. Throw Brady Kachuk on that left wing, and you might see some fireworks. That could be fun. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Speaking of fun, this has been a blast. Spencer at Spencer DJ Blake on Twitter. Uh, thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate your insight on all things Belleville. It is something that I am trying to glean more of an understanding of watching more games this year. But uh, going to guys like you and Sense Prospects is always a promising source for prospect knowledge so thank you man i appreciate it thanks for having me and thanks for putting my my name in the same sentences since prospects that's a that's a big compliment because i look up to to that account yeah. all the time <laughs> yeah. uh they're they're huge uh for for me understanding or mostly for me seeing replays and stuff of of belleville stuff because i'm i'm technologically intelligent but i still don't know how to screen cap uh recordings of of replays so thank you for for putting me in that same sentence he's a wizard and he is handsome as well but uh, (laughs) so there you go that's why you deserve to be in that conversation thank you thank you again man i appreciate it thanks for having me